it's so fun because no matter I think what walk of life all these people are from the joy when she appears and those cubs appear is just palpable you can just feel the excitement that everybody has just for the experience of being in her presence it's just given people a lot of hope during a year where we've all dealt with a lot of really hard things I think it's been um just this uplifting good news that that this bear exists and that and that you have a chance of seeing her if you go up there Welcome back, everyone. I'm your host, Shanti, and this is the Out and Back podcast presented by Gaia GPS. Everyone loves a good bear story. And today, we're excited to introduce to you perhaps the most famous bear in the world, Grizz 399. Hailing from Grand Teton National Park, Grizz 399 has stolen the hearts of many. This bear has lived in the public's eye for more than a decade. She's taken up residence along the park's busy roads and has raised multiple sets of cubs, center stage in front of tourists and photographers. And this year, at the ripe age of 24, Grizz 399 boosted her celebrity status by emerging from her den with four tiny cubs. As a warning, this story about Grizz 399 that we're about to do is so uplifting, it might just make you jump in your car and head to the Tetons right this minute to get a glimpse of her. But before you visit any national park, you're going to want to download Gaia GPS. The leading backcountry navigation app is also an outstanding tool to guide you through the scenic drives of the front country. Along with topographic maps worldwide, Gaia GPS has all the national park visitor maps, meaning you can now skip the paper map at the entrance station. You can get the park map on your phone ahead of time and save a tree in the process. The coolest thing about having it on your phone is that Gaia GPS can track exactly where you are on the map even when you don't have cell service, so you will never have to miss a park viewpoint or attraction ever again. And best of all, right now, Gaia GPS is offering up to a 50, 50% discount to podcast listeners. You just have to go to GaiaGPS.com podcast to grab that sweet discount. That's G-A-I-A-GPS.com podcast. All right, real quick shout out before we begin. This episode was produced and narrated by Mary Kokenauer engineered by Phil Corbett, and edited by Anne Jeanette Damon. Enjoy the show, everybody. I was deep into quarantine isolation in May of this year. I was sitting on the couch surfing Instagram, and all these pictures of a particular grizzly bear were popping up on my phone. Now, I live in Montana, and people post about bears they see all the time in Yellowstone and Glacier National Parks. But I could tell right away that this bear was different. She had four tiny little cubs in tow, and they were so cute. And everyone posting was just so excited to see her with her babies. I was intrigued. So I Googled her name, Grizz399, and I discovered this bear has her own Facebook page, her own Instagram page, and hashtags. She has this Wikipedia page that chronicles her life. She's been featured in newspaper articles in National Geographic magazine. She's even had a glossy hardcover book published of her life story. But her celebrity status exploded this year when she came out of hibernation with four of the cutest little grizzly bear cubs ever seen. Thousands of people have come to Grand Teton National Park hoping for the rare chance to see this majestic wild animal mothering her babies. And for some people, people like wildlife watcher and amateur photographer Maureen Matson, Grizz 399 is more than just a bear. She's a symbol of hope and good news in these trying times and a reason to go back to the park over and over again. 
I live in Salt Lake and it's just a four hour drive up to the Tetons. Wildlife has always been a huge draw to going to the Tetons. So we've been going up there every summer since I was a little kid, which is over 40 years ago. And my dad, um, there, I have 10 brothers and sisters. So there was a lot of us crammed into a crew cab truck with a shell on the back. And in order to keep us all um, getting along and not making too much noise, he would offer to pay us money if we saw different wildlife. So it was always like uh, 20 bucks for a bear and $10 for a moose. So from a very young age, like my eyes were always peeled for the wildlife as we were um, as we were headed through the parks and into the back country of the Tetons. And then uh, I picked up a camera when I was in my teenage years and started um, taking pictures. And I loved capturing those moments. Um, it was just a little point and shoot at that point, And the pictures were really awful. But it was so exciting to be able to keep those memories alive with pictures. So as I became an adult, um, it kind of became my uh, escape. I am an ICU nurse, and so my job is super stressful. And I found that one of the ways that I uh, can kind of debrief myself and download all of the stuff that goes on in my life that I, uh, being out in nature and being near the animals makes me really happy. So um, I go up to the Tetons probably every two months uh, on a normal basis just to escape. So the wildlife in general have always been amazing to watch. And I especially have a really big affinity with the bison. Um, but the bears, because they aren't a super regular occurrence normally, they, you know, they're kind of like the peace de la resistance. There are many bears in the greater Yellowstone area, but Maureen says you'll know when you're looking at Grizz 399. She's unmistakable. She's very distinctive looking. She has kind of a blonde stripe down her snout and just the shape of her face is kind of a heart shape with some um, blonde coloring around it. So she's very distinctive looking. So I've seen her a couple of times through the years, um, but never really knew who she was or how important she was until I um, was actually walking through downtown Jackson and walked into Tom Mingleson's studio. And he has tons of pictures of her and then also has a book now all about the bears of Pilgrim Creek and how important 399 is. So that was my first introduction to, oh, I've seen this bear. I know this bear. And um, how exciting to read about her background and, and how important she is to the Tetons. The area that she frequents often is called Pilgrim Creek. And um, it's a huge river that, that runs across the landscape from the eastern side to the west where the Tetons are. And there are some open meadows next to it with some wooded areas with lots of uh, large, uh, large pine trees. And so there's a road that goes through it called the Pilgrim Creek Road, and it's been closed for years at different points because this bear frequents that area so often. So people line these roads just waiting for a chance to see um, this bear on a normal year, but this year it's been obviously heightened because of the four cups. And so everybody was along that road waiting to see where she, where she had appeared the day before. And there were probably hundreds of cars. There was definitely like a buzz and excitement that maybe there was a possibility of seeing her again. Um, 
I waited there from I had probably 7.30 in the morning until I had given myself a deadline to 4 p.m. because I had to get home before it was dark and get ready for work and all of that. So I waited until 4 and she never appeared. We saw moose. We saw two black bears but in that same area, but no 399 and her cubs. So that was my first experience waiting for her. And I was super disappointed and I went home and felt really bad that I hadn't seen her. So I was so devastated that I had missed this incredible thing. Because like I said, I think this pandemic um, has been so heavy for so many of us, especially for me as a nurse and the way that it's changed my life. And so these animals have brought so much hope and joy to an environment that's been really stressed and um, heavy. And um, so I was so sad that I had missed her. So when two weeks later I had some time off for work, I, I said, I'm going back. I'm going to go see if I can see her. The road through Teton National Park is a two-lane highway, and it goes through a lot of different scenery as you're going through. There's wooded areas, but then there's big open meadows with, at the, that time of year, there was tons of wildflowers, beautiful wildflowers, and, um, and then some areas that are really open with sagebrush everywhere. So these bears, when you're looking for them, they're, a lot of times you can barely see the color of their backs over the grasses and the sagebrush. So you really have to keep your eyes peeled. And I came around the bend where there's just a wide open uh, sagebrush fields and came over a hill where the grassy area starts again. So I got up on top of my Jeep first because that's my first go-to lookout point. The grasses were a little high and then there was sagebrush mixed in with it. And um and I couldn't see anything. So I crossed the road to where most of the photographers with their huge cameras were and tried to get out of their way, but still be able to get a viewpoint. And you would just see little pops of 399's head peeking over a, a piece of sagebrush. And then all of a sudden you see these four little cubs and their little heads just poking up one by one, curious of what's going on around them. It's such an adrenaline rush. It really is. Like there are several people that are not even there with cameras. They're just there to experience it because it's just such a happy story of this 24-year-old mom that beat all the odds to just be alive, let alone be able to, uh, you know, have four cubs in, in her 24th year. So the adrenaline is super high. The excitement is super high. And the minute she appears or one of those cubs pokes up its head, you just hear click, 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 click. All the cameras going off. It's just, it's such a funny thing. Like I almost thought I should just stop and start filming these photographers that are here because just the joy on their faces and the excitement when, when something appears, but I didn't want to give up the opportunity to get a picture of the bears. <laughs> this bear is being almost like stalked by by hundreds of people so I have yet to find her by myself that would be amazing I have had a couple of really awesome encounters with driving up right as she's crossing in front of me but um but no there's hundreds of people there and you know people trying to get pictures with their iPhones or their iPads out the window and then there's these professional photographers who have their huge you know thousand meter lenses on and tripod set up and trying to get the exact shot that they want and uh, 
So you have you have everything from the tourist that's just thrilled to see a bear and have no idea what the history is to these people who actually are really looking to get good shots of her. So it's so fun because no matter, I think, what walk of life all these people are from, the joy when she appears and those cubs appear is just palpable. You can just feel the excitement that everybody has just for the experience of being in her presence. As Maureen mentioned, part of 399's fame is owed to conservationist and professional wildlife photographer Tom Mangelson. He has documented her life in pictures for about 15 years. Tom, who lives in Jackson, Wyoming, remembers the time when grizzly bears made their way back into Grand Teton National Park. We didn't have any grizzly bears in Teton Park or in the south portion of Yellowstone for 50 years because they'd been extirpated. But it was a big surprise when, you know, a grizzly bear showed up on my back porch one morning and uh, 2006. And it woke me up. My dog was barking like a maniac, yellow lab. And, and I bolted up out of bed and I looked at it and I thought it was one of the black bears that come through here fairly often. I realized that this is not a black bear. This is a grizzly bear because, you know, I've seen a lot of grizzly bears. And I said, wow, that's cool. There's grizzly bears back in Teton Park. How great is that? And then the next year, a guy called me and said, there's a grizzly with three cubs, 2007, in the fall. And it was on the Oxbow Bend, one of my favorite places on earth. Um, pretty much in the southern part of Teton Park. And it had three cubs in it feeding on a little moose carcass. And it was kind of late in the evening in the trees and it was downfall. It wasn't very good sighting, but wow, this is really cool. And uh, never saw it again. The next spring, sure enough, she was pretty much in the same area, right across from the Octopal Bend with three yearling cubs. So that was our first set of triplets. And so I spent the spring just photographing her and that led to, you know, now almost 15 years of, uh, documenting her and finding out that she is one incredible, one incredible being. Tom's been watching Grizz 399's life unfold all these years. And last winter, he could tell the plot was going to thicken. Grizz 399 went into her den and she was bigger than Tom had ever seen her before. She's about six foot, maybe at the withers and uh, hump and five and a half, maybe, but, uh, probably when she came out of the den, maybe 375, probably 400 pounds now, maybe. Um, when she goes in the den, maybe 450. I mean, she was humongous. The, the biggest I've ever seen her. Tom predicted and was hopeful for yet another set of triplets this spring. Like everyone else, he was surprised when she crawled out of her den with not three, but four little grizzly bear cubs. When 399 came out, I saw her the first day. Uh, when she came out with the four cubs and it was the first day the park opened right after noon, about two o'clock. And, and she walked right down Pilgrim Creek on that day. It was the third time on May 18th that she's actually exposed herself, so to speak, to people uh, near Pilgrim Creek. It was like May 18th. What the hell? How does she, she have a calendar or what? It was a friend of mine's birthday. So he reminded me, as he, she comes out on my birthday, you know, that's what the deal is. I said, okay, cool. Happy birthday. But I, there was one of the four cubs, and it was phenomenal to see her, because I did think she would have triplets. And and just, I wanted it, probably. I was being optimistic, and everybody said she's too old. Huge crowds have gathered this year to see what might happen with the cubs next. 
There's danger around every corner, it seems, especially for the littlest cub in the pack. There was one of the cubs that was a runt, and he was kind of lagging a little bit behind. I thought, you know, she'll, I don't know, that little one's going to be risky. But he's going across the river and everything, and Pilgrim Creek is kind of rushing this time of year and spring runoff. And one of the cubs got swept down the river a few days later, and he ran down the river and picked it up out of the water. So anyway, she's got the four cubs today. This morning I saw her, and it's been since May 18th, and I think if any four survive, uh, you know, 399 could do it, but it's going to be tough. It's not very common here. In 2015, Tom published a hardcover glossy book called The Grizzlies of Pilgrim Creek. The book highlights Grizz 399's life story in both his beautiful photos and in writing by journalist Todd Wilkinson. Todd, who is based out of Bozeman, Montana, is founder of Mountain Journal, a nonprofit publication dedicated to public interest journalism. Todd wrote about 399 for National Geographic magazine. But you know, it's at 399 after about her being 10 years old in in 2006, we thought, you know, there's something here. There's something going on here in addition to the fact that here you had grizzly bears recolonizing Jackson Hole. And so Tom said, you know, I think we should do a book. And we talked about this thing, and her story has continued to play out. And each successive year, it's become more dramatic to watch. So largely, the grizzly bears of lore of the American West were largely these livestock killers. These these notorious bears that ranchers and that... uh, uh, bounty hunters were on the chase to try and eradicate. It was this great, great triumph to tame the Wild West. And so 399 cuts against the script of that. She really exposes us through the natural history of her own life, again, which is quite dramatic, and shows us that these bears are not these fearsome creatures, that in a case of a grizzly bear mother, she only wants to protect her young. And most, you know, the vast majority of cases between uh, involving humans and bears are ones in which bears are provoked by people. They're not these marauders who go out looking for trouble with people. In fact, they, they like to stay away from them unless people do some really stupid things such as feed bears or get into their space. What makes Grizz 399 so unique is that she has chosen to live alongside the road rather than the backcountry out of sight of humans. She raises her cubs, feeds them on elk carcasses, swims with her babies across the river, and follows all other typical bear behavior. But with the exception that she does it with a grandstand of people around her. Todd believes that Grizz 399 chose to live near the road because she learned that her cubs were safer around people than they were around male grizzly bears, who will kill grizzly cubs to bring a female bear back into mating season quicker. Male grizzlies generally shy away from populated spaces, like the road area where Grizz 399 lives. What they think happened is that 399 had a single cub early in her life, and she was raising that cub in the backcountry, probably Pilgrim Creek. And so they think that, that a male bear... Uh, which will kill cubs to send a a female into estrus, perhaps killed uh, that first cub. And so after 399 lost that cub, 
she ended up showing up, as Tom said, along the roadside. And the thinking was, is that the roadside would be safer to raise subsequent litters of cubs than fending in the backcountry with large male bears that are not as sociable and, and not as daring to be around people as, as she ended up being. Living in the front country doesn't seem to have dampered 399's ability to feed herself or her hungry little cubs. She's often seen feasting on a carcass or neck deep in berry bushes. Todd says this habitat has turned out to be the perfect place for her to raise multiple sets of cubs over the years. She's been this amazingly fertile bear, um, as we say, fecund. And cub production comes from a mother that's getting good nutrition. So the number that's been used is seven litters, including three sets of triplets plus one quadruplets. And so she is an incredible physical specimen, and, and that has carried forward uh, over the years because she's got good genetics. And so again, not only is she teaching all of these cubs uh, how to wend through uh, these very treacherous landscapes, but those cubs then are teaching their cubs. There is a real danger in the bear world that people will do stupid things, one of which is throwing food to bears, uh, sort of uh, that goes along the lines of the old Jellystone cartoons of feeding bears in Yellowstone Park. It's a really bad thing because when you get a habituated bear, they can become dangerous. But what 399 has done is she's she has exuded this amazing tolerance for human beings. As this friend of ours says, this uh, professor from Yale, 399 comes out of the forest and she reaches a roadside where there are hundreds of people with cars speeding by at 40, 45 miles an hour, sometimes faster. And she reads, she reads the scenario and she doesn't lose her cool. In this world where there are a lot of people filling up wild places, she is, as you say, a poster child, but she's a poster child for a bear that knows how to navigate the human world and teaches people that if we just give bears space, uh, they generally will stay out of trouble. Tom says Grizz 399 has become a master at navigating around humans. You know, we, we say habituated is a as a bad word. She knows people, but she tolerates people. I think the word would be would be tolerate, not habituated. She's very uh, aware of her surroundings. She's aware of, you know, a truck backfiring or a motorcycle going by, and she'll sometimes stand up and look around. But she's smelling everything, always aware of her surroundings. And so she, she will outfox most of us. You know, we'll be waiting here, and all of a sudden we'll be looking down the road a uh, half a mile, and there she'd go on across the road. You know, she'll go She'll just go through the willows and say, oh, today I don't want to go through the crowd. You know, I'm going to go down. I'm going to just take the kids across the road down by the creek. And we just laugh at it because she's so damn smart. But the other day she said, I'm going to go through the crowd. And everybody, they make a bracket and, and the uh, wildlife brigade make people, you know, you know get back uh, 50 yards or 100 yards. And she goes right through it and, you know, doesn't nothing affects her. So it's pretty, pretty amazing.
Grand Teton National Park recognizes that bears along the roadway present many dangers to both the bears and the wildlife watchers stopping to look at them. For bears, the danger exists of becoming habituated to cars and people. And when that happens, well, you've heard the saying that a fed bear is a dead bear. Also, bears living alongside the road increases their chances of being hit and killed in traffic. Bears along the road also means a greater chance for encounters with humans. Wildlife officials advise on the following. Stay at least 300 feet from bears, even if you are in your vehicle. Use designated pullouts when viewing bears and stay in your vehicle. Follow directions from National Park Service staff. Use binoculars or spotting scopes for safe viewing from a distance. And remember that approaching wildlife is prohibited by law. And definitely never leave food, garbage, or coolers in the open bed of a truck or the exterior of any vehicle. And for humans, the danger is obvious. Sometimes, even when you follow all the rules, you can't avoid an encounter. Dennis Vandenboss from Lander, Wyoming, happened to be at the wrong place at the wrong time in June 2007. He was attending a teacher's conference at the Jackson Lake Lodge. And when you're in one of the most beautiful places in the world, I did not expect to just stay in bed. On his last day of the conference, Dennis went for an early morning walk. A hunter and avid outdoorsman, Dennis knew about the risks of grizzly bears in the area. So he asked the front desk for some bear spray. They told him to buy it in the gift shop. So Dennis decided not to buy any. After all, he was just going for a quick stroll around the resort. It wasn't like he was going on a major wilderness trek. So Dennis stepped out into the dawn twilight. Signs told him to stay away from an area north of the lodge due to recent bear activity. So Dennis went the other way. Well, I started down this trail, a road, a two-track road, I guess is what we would call it here. As I got towards the part where this road opens up into the Willow Flats area, I saw a moose, cow, and a calf go run past. And they came from the north, which of course was a direction I was not supposed to go. When I saw the moose, cow, and calf run by, I had this thought. Well, two two things. One, it was coming from the north. And uh, I've never seen a moose running in the national park. <laughs> we always see moose standing somewhere in, in the park. This little road that I went down sort of paralleled this stream, kind of a meadowy area with a slow-moving stream on on my left as I was going down the road. And on my right, as the road is going down, there's a little side hill. And above that on the bench are the what they would call cabins. And so those cabins were probably maybe 40 feet from me but just up, you know, 20 feet up this little side hill with trees in it. So this road kind of is going through the trees, and then it opens up, and you have this big willow flat area in front of you. So I stopped and looked out over willow flat, and there was a herd of elk out there, as well as this cow and calf moose that had stopped out just past the herd of elk. And the elk were all staring in my direction. So... Then I turned around and, you know, I'm just looking at my time and thought, well, I'll just head back because uh, I'll, I'll need to get back and, and 
shower up and head to head to my breakfast and then conference and be packed up. So I started back up this road and then all of a sudden there's a cow elk in front of me, about 20 yards in front of me, standing right at the road. And we're just like face to face now with this cow elk. And she's kind of looks at me, but doesn't seem very interested in me. But at some point I've, I'm past the elk and I decide, well, geez, this has been kind of cool, but I better get going. I should head up to my room. So I turned and, you know, very decisively turned and headed up the road. And at that instant, 399 jumps out of the, the trees on the other side of the road, opposite of where the elk was, heading right for me. Uh, at the most, she was 20 feet away, you know, maybe 15 feet. And she is charging right at me. So I have, I have some images that are imprinted in my brain with this. And that's one of them, her just charging at me on the road, very close, very fast. And I can see behind her, although my focus is her face, but there is these three teddy bear shapes right in the background of the, her three cubs. And so I know right away it's, it's the bear with her three cubs. It's a mama bear. We hear that that's not very good to get crosswise of a mama. I took a few steps back. I just started stepping back slowly and yelled at, you know, this, hey. And she just turned right next to me and skidded to a stop just barely arm's length away from me on my on my left side now and i know you're not supposed to look look them in the eye i know that but i didn't i did not think of that at all and it kind of turned and looked back as if you know looking back at her cubs and um and you know when she kind of did that i just saw this image this it was 6 a.m., approximately 6 a.m. in the morning, and the sun was shining right on her. And her back was remarkable. Just the this look of this, this silver tip hair standing on her back was really a compelling sight. And the thought immediately was, I need to give her space. So I started to back straight away from her. But so now when I'm stepping directly away from her, I'm going right towards the side of the road, which I am not at all thinking about. But I take one step, two steps, third step, I stepped off the edge of the road. And I, and I just had to catch my balance. It just startled me and I just had to take quick steps to catch my balance to stay upright. So two things happened then. One, when she pulled up to a stop, her head was about waist high compared to me. So now I stumble down this road and that's done. Her head and my head are about the same and she charges right at me. So I dove and so, so she misses me on that charge because I dove to the ground and comes right around and hits me right in the back, bites me in the back. And so in my mind, I'm thinking, well, how is this going to end? 
And what is this telling me? And this, this little bite to me just kind of felt like a warning or stay down, don't move. And that's what I did. I just stayed there and I did not move. <laughs> the next thing that happens is I get a bite in my right butt cheek and it is from 399. The thought was that that was just very powerful. It was just a bite, a grab, kind of, you know, like picked me up and let me go. And then I feel a paw on my left calf. Now, I assumed that that was her. But as it turns out, that was not. That was the cubs. The, all the three cubs were there, but I did not know that. I was not looking. I did not. I was not moving. And the next thing that happens is I get a bite in my left butt cheek. It's a grab and tear and shake. And what that said to me in my mind that's trying to think, how is this going to end? They're just going to eat me. It was the thought, if you've seen the lion take down an antelope or the wolf take down the, the caribou, and they're standing there with a hand on them, and you see the critter still alive, and you wonder what they're thinking. Well, now I know what they're thinking. They're just going to eat me. There's, there's nothing, there's nothing coming to mind that I could do. There's nothing I could do. There's no way I could fight off four grizzlies. One of them, they said was about 350. That was 399, and it's apparently about 120 pounds a piece for the, the cubs in their second year. <laughs> so for that moment however that lasted I just thought that was that was going to be the end of it the next thing that happens is I hear a voice yell and this person is yelling hey hey and so I am now I've got a paw on my calf I still feel that paw and then suddenly there's a little more commotion and then the paw leaves my leg this young lady who actually came to speak to me the next day was her it was her uh, first summer after her first year of college, and she was going to cook breakfast for the breakfast rides. And then she sees this group of bears right off the side of the road, and she starts to grab for her camera. And, you know, as she's moving up towards these bears, and then she sees a, a guy running down the hill from the cabins towards the bears. And, and she's just approaching them. So she hits the brakes. And she said when she hit, hit the brakes and skidded to a stop, then the, the bears left. There, uh, one of the wranglers was a nurse. The head wrangler was uh, a doctor from Montana, a young woman who, is, who had done her doctor's training in Montana. So they are ushering me into the side of this pickup. And I'm having this thought, should I sit down on this dirty seat? I, you know, I just, because I, I couldn't see what was going on, but I knew that I had a pretty pretty nasty bite, at least a couple of them on my backside. So I I just knelt into this, into this pickup and did not sit down. I didn't know that that would be a good idea. And then she's, she's trying to back up, and she's having a little trouble trying to turn around on the narrow road. And I suggested that she just just back up on the road until it opens up and then you could turn around and then we'll go up. 
So she starts doing that. And then I look down the road and there's another one of these images I have, which is 399 is sitting in the middle of the road. And the, and in my image of it, it's kind of this arch of trees around her. You know, she's centered in this little arch. And behind her is sticking out three little teddy bear shapes. Just all I see is their heads sticking out from behind her. They're just all huddled behind her looking to see what's going on. Dennis had deep puncture wounds to his back and backside, but the real danger was infection and Dennis spent months cleaning his open wounds while they healed up. Though the attack was painful and scary, Dennis understood why it happened. I had absolutely no animosity towards the bear. I felt at that moment, when we kind of had this eye contact, I knew she was very stressed. I cannot say that she was more scared than I was, but she was. I could tell that she's stressed. She's trying to support a family. Um... And here's a threat to that, even if even if I had gotten eaten. If I'd been in the back country, I would have gotten eaten. I, I'm sure of that. I, I wondered, I contemplated all these questions afterwards. Anyway, I definitely was was not at all interested and would have been very disappointed if something would have happened to that bear because of that encounter. Grizzly bears in the lower 48 states are currently listed as threatened under the Endangered Species Act. Bears who attack people are often killed by wildlife managers. But with Dennis's sentiment, Grizz 399 and her three yearling cubs were spared. Todd describes this as a pivotal moment in bear recovery in the greater Yellowstone area. And it was this, this episode in which it could have gone either way if she had had malintent. The decision was made by the superintendent, a woman named Mary Gibson Scott, to keep 399 alive rather than remove her and her cubs. And that the gentleman who, the school teacher who had been mauled said, don't shoot her. You know, she was only behaving naturally. The decision is made to keep her alive. And what's happened? That single decision by a human to keep a female bear alive still ripples to this day because we have cubs and cubs of cubs. These, you know, the equivalent of cub grandchildren for three ninety nine. Anthropomorphism is the attribution of human traits, emotions, or intentions to non-human entities like wild animals. And Grizz three ninety nine certainly displays emotions that humans can relate to. She is perceived to have both intelligence and deep feelings. She's a good mama bear too, and knows how to take care of her cubs. She has such a habit of going to the same place to teach the cubs, you know, where to find berries, where to find fish, where to find uh, white bark pine nuts, where to find grasses and sedges. She's now teaching her her four cubs how to hunt. And I watch her. She's like a bird dog. You know, she's like a bird dog going around and she'll run out into a herd of elk and, and they'll be out there grazing and they'll ditch all their, their calves in the willows and stuff. She will go back and pick off the, you know, pretty much the calves at will in a, in a sense but she would run maybe 100 yards if the, when they start running by themselves and it's amazing to see this a bear running at full speed there's no way that a human could ever outrun a, a grizzly bear i saw some pictures i took the other day and her bottom teeth are pretty much all worn down but she is so clever and she's such a good mother now but no matter how good of a mother 399 has become she has lost cubs and when that's happened 
it's been devastating. The one bear, Snowy, that she had a single cub uh, oh, about 10 years ago, eight years ago, uh, did get hit by a car late in the evening. At, and it ended up on the on the um, yellow line of the highway, just just right at Pilgrim Creek. And she's crossed here hundreds of times, obviously, but it got hit by a, somebody who didn't stop. It sort of a hit and run. We don't know what happened. You know, it might have been a total accident. She went out to the road, picked it up in her mouth, and carried it over to about 50 yards in the trees and laid it by a log. And the rest of the evening, she went back and well, she was bawling. I mean, bawling like a, not like a kid necessarily, but like a bear balls, and howling and foaming at the mouth and standing up and looking for looking for snowy. Although she knew where she put it, but it was this really emotional uh, moment, and and it was really horrific. And she did that all all night, and all, and the next morning, finally the the park service, you know, when she wandered down the road far enough, because they were afraid she was going to get hit by car, by traffic, they uh, went and got collected snow in, and uh, she finally went away. But that emotion that she, you know, attachment she showed for, for Snowy and what most animals I've learned do to their offspring is is not much different than us. And maybe no, no different, just in a different way. It's this kind of intelligence that has kept Grizz 399 alive for so long. At 24, she's an old bear, a grandmother bear many times over, and isn't expected to live too much longer. Todd says grizzly bear 399 has beat the odds of survival. The oldest known grizzly mother uh, to merge with cubs was in Yellowstone, and uh, she was 27. So there are, you know, it is not uncommon to have bears live into their 20s, but it is uncommon for bears to have litter sizes this big. And again, it's an incredibly perilous world out there for a grizzly bear to be able to navigate big game hunters in the fall that might um, have a clash with them. Even hunters who aren't hunting bears, they're hunting elk and they'll have uh, run-ins over carcasses and there are highways and there are lots of people and there's food tossed and there are dogs. Um, it is not easy making your living with your canid fangs and your claws. You know, what I would note now in this time of COVID is there's this great yearning some people go to Africa to go to the Serengeti. We have people who come from around the world to the greater Yellowstone ecosystem who go to the roadside and join Mr. Tom Mangelson taking photographs of 399. And so right here in our backyard, we have this homegrown nature safari industry, basically, that is self-sustaining year after year. And the message is, if you protect it, people will come. Every single one of us is a stakeholder in the future and survival of 399 and other grizzlies. It's a really powerful thing. We can think of all the things that divide us in this country, but we can all come together around the story of a grizzly bear mother Grizzly 399 is really our icon that can bring us together and reminds us of how important the solace of nature is and how important this rare wild country still is. Grizzly Bear 399, everyone. 
As we mentioned during the show, this bear has her own Instagram and Facebook pages that you can follow. You can also follow the Grizz399 hashtags to see pictures of her almost every day. We want to give a special thank you to Tom Mangelson and Todd Wilkinson for joining us on this show. You can learn more about Tom and see his beautiful pictures on his website and Instagram page. Follow Todd through his publication, The Mountain Journal, which exposes public interest issues involving the greater Yellowstone ecosystem. And of course, all you have to do is visit our show notes to find the links to these pages, so make sure to check it out. Now, coming up in two weeks, Mary and I will be back to talk with Buzz Burrell of the Fastest Known Time podcast to get a roundup of this year's FKTs. And let me tell you, it's a doozy. With all the races that have been canceled because of COVID, athletes have been focusing their competitions on the mountains. No records are safe right now. So in the meantime, before we're back in two weeks, make sure you don't forget to snag that 50% off deal with Gaia GPS. Just go to www.gaiagps.com slash podcast to score your savings. And of course, if you like today's show, please don't forget to leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. It really helps the show get noticed and always puts a smile on our faces at the end of the day. So until next time, thanks for joining us on the Out and Back podcast presented by Gaia GPS. We'll see you next time.